Network. A wise man once said, if you hear a horse, don't look for a zebra. Applied to today's politics, when you find drugs, find a drug addict. And contrary to the gyrations and tortured logic of politics, that's the truth. From TNN, the Truth News Network, with your host, Dan Newman. I didn't know there was any logic in politics. What about you? I thought it was all up in the air with a bunch of crazies that didn't understand the law or government or how things are supposed to work. Well, guess what? That we're full of Americans here in the United States. Oh, and about 20 million illegal immigrants. Well, <laughs> good morning, everybody. Welcome to Friday edition of TNN Live. And it's going to be mellow here, maybe for, oh, I don't know, three or four more minutes. <laughs> and then we're going to get into the good stuff. And I mean, the world is on fire. We've got all of it surrounded and have it for you next. There's a new sun rising. I can see a new horizon. That will keep me realizing you're the biggest part of me. Did you love me beside me? Did you close enough to guide me? I've been hoping you would find me. You're the biggest part of me. Well, make a wish, baby. 
going to hear on the show today. I'm just saying, I will warn you right now, I am a bit agitated today. And I'm being calm when I say agitated, a bit agitated. I'm actually PO'd, and you know exactly what I'm referencing when I say that. What's so big? What's so angry? Well, the truth is coming out. A couple of things just blow my mind. I mean, absolutely blow my mind. You know, we've had this, we were told, an agreement between Democrats and members of the Republican Party in Congress for this budget, this money deal, so we don't have to shut down the government. Our good friend, Congressman Mike Johnson, over last weekend, he met with all of the people that were part of this, and they actually, we were told, they came up with a budget deal. Now, they wouldn't give us the details, but let me tell you what's been going on behind the scenes. The Republicans give the Republican people out in the Heatherland, they give a version of what they think they've agreed to, and they do that very quietly behind the scenes. And on the other side, the Democrats go out and they laugh about it, and they tell us, hey, you're not going to believe, but we're getting everything we want. And then all of a sudden, details of what each side think they've agreed to. And, of course, they put that in the context of what they wanted, and they're telling all of their minions, Republicans talking to Republicans, Democrats talking to Democrats, look, here's what they agreed to. We're getting everything we want. Well, what have Republicans been telling all of us out here that they demanded and they would not give an inch on this, our southern border stuff. We've got to stop the flood of illegals coming across our southern border. And if they don't agree in this budget deal, the one that's being negotiated, if they don't agree to that, it's a killer. We'll shut the government down. Well, we didn't know any of the details about what the Senate Democrats had come up with. Chuck Schumer's been out there telling everybody, telling every Democrat, we're getting everything we want. Listen to this. The Senate Republican leadership's draft border deal with White House, if it comes and it goes as it stands, what's been so far agreed with, The White House would reward illegal migration and encourage more foreign graduates to take jobs away from American graduates. There's nothing in there that restricts immigration. Nothing. In fact, it's just going to encourage more people to come. Give you some little tidbits that uh, have come out about it. It essentially authorizes the Biden administration just keep Keep doing the catch and release thing. In other words, let the immigrants come across. We catch them. We give them a notice to appear at some, I don't know, eight or nine years later, and then we let them go. They're still going to do that under the Democrat plan. Republicans got played by the Democrats. This is Chris Chmielinski saying this. He's president of the Immigration Accountability Project. 
The Republicans got played, he said. The Republicans went to the auto shop to get a car fixed, walked out with a broken cup holder. (laughs) He posted details in a tweet. Here's what he said. Here's what the border deal would do. One, increase green cards by 50,000 a year. Two, work permits for adult children of H-1B visa holders. Three, immediate work permits to every illegal alien released from custody. Did you get that one? Every illegal alien released from custody gets a work permit. I'll weigh in on that specifically in just a minute. Number four, taxpayer-funded lawyers to certain UACs, unaccompanied minors, and mentally incompetent aliens. Taxpayer-funded. That's you and me. Number five, expulsion authority for a limited number of days only if encounters exceed 5,000 a day over a seven-day period. Number six, restricts parole for those who enter without authorization between ports of entry. Chmielinski's report matches another report from CBS and some comments from Senator Rand Paul. So the still so-called secret draft deal is a sellout. It's going to continue to allow illegal immigration. This is Rand Paul speaking to Fox News. It's saying, oh, we'll let 5,000 people come in illegally every day. And then after that, we might try to stop the next 5,000 that day. It's completely a sellout. Democrats have won support from Republican leader Senator Mitch McConnell, supposed to be a Republican, but he's a rhino, Republican in name only, by threatening to cut off Monday for Ukraine's war against Russia, Rand Paul said. People like Mitch McConnell, this is Senator Rand Paul, People like Mitch McConnell care more about Ukraine than anything else, more than the border, more than anything else. He wants to send $60 billion of your money to Ukraine. On this issue, he's more aligned with Joe Biden. McConnell is much more closely aligned with President Joe Biden than he is with the Republican Party. And this deal, by the way, you know who the champion of the deal is? Tom Tillis, senator, Republican senator from North Carolina. He suggested uh, two days ago that the bill would be popular because it would curb the asylum migration portion of the huge inflow. He said, I'm part of the working group. I've seen progress. We cannot miss this opportunity. The stakes are too high. You don't even need political courage to do the right here. Because the good policy of border security is also good politics for the overwhelming majority of senators that need to vote for this bill. This is Tom Tillis saying, I think we'll probably have 25 or 30 members in this body that won't vote for it. Some will because it didn't go too far. The others will be saying it didn't go far enough. But we need about 70 votes coming out of this chamber to create the momentum to get it done in the House And I'm going to be one of those 70 votes. Senator Tillis, by the way, he didn't mention the administration's efforts to expand the parole inflow or the H-1B expansion. But he did say 
I'm also somebody who thinks we should probably legally immigrate each year another 250,000, half a million more workers, workers, he said, than we do already. The draft deal is bad for Americans and for the GOP. The deal expands the narrow parole loophole that Biden is improperly using to reshape the nation's labor market. You know what they're doing? Importing roughly one million parole migrants every year. So we have one million legal migrants coming in every year and have for decades. Our country lets people come through the legal immigration process every year that becomes citizens more altogether from every nation on earth than they all together allow to come into their nations a year. We do a million every year. That's equal to what the whole rest of the world does. And now these guys want another million a year. Current law allows an annual inflow of roughly one million legals a year, several hundred thousand temporary visa workers. Also, Biden's massive use of the loophole is being challenged in court by state attorneys general, but any final deal would likely override the 1996 limit that narrows the parole access to only a small number of people each year. The deal would also provide work permits to every illegal once they're released from custody, every one of them. That giveaway would increase competition for jobs nationwide and it would drive down Americans' wages. I thought Joe Biden was the champion of the blue-collar working class in America. You know what Tom Tillis, the turncoat Republican senator from North Carolina, what he's doing by championing this? He is getting money, big money, big political donations from huge corporations And the big ones that are doing it across the nation are the massive agriculture companies. You know why? They can replace the American workers and the millions of legal immigrants that are already here working those blue-collar jobs out in the fields. You go out to California. Go through the Central Valley. I've been there up and down all, I guess, every decade of my life. I've been out there. Agriculture is the lifeblood of California. And all of those immigrants, the legal immigrants that are already in the Central Valley, a million of them at least, every one of them would lose their jobs. You know why? Because Tom Tillis and his big corporate people, they're going to come in there and get rid of the legals because they can pay the ones that Joe and Tom Tillis and a bunch of other turncoat Republicans want because it'll save their clients, those corporations, lots and lots of dollars. Those deals work permit terms. They may also override the current laws that require every migrant to be detained until their asylum cases are adjudged. Biden's deputies are ignoring the laws, period and instead spending billions of dollars to get migrants into U.S. jobs, not the detention centers that the laws call for. 
this flood of cheap labor, it would also, listen to this, minimize corporate investment in wealth-generating automation and so reduce average productivity nationwide. The flood would also be absorbed by employers in high-wage coastal cities, minimizing job creation in the heartland states. We're talking about the bread-and-butter heart of America, agriculture, farming, and all the people that have worked for generations. We have, in the heartland of America, we have hundreds of farms, hundreds that have been passed down, father to son, then the son to his son, and so on and so on, for generations, back to the beginning of this nation. And if this whole process comes to pass, everyone, almost everyone, of those farms will either go broke, go busted, or they'll be snatched up by some of these agricultural giants for pennies on the dollar. The deal also would have Americans pay lawyers to help more illegal migrant youth grab shares of the American citizenship birthright. The giveaway would likely help the cartel-allied labor labor traffickers recruit many more of these poor foreign youths to work in the dangerous jobs here in the U.S. We're already seeing that happen across the nation with this flood of illegal unaccompanied minors. They're being trafficked by the cartels to come over here, and we hear horror stories every day about these babies working 12, 15 hours a day, many of them getting paid a couple of bucks. It's all about money. Oh, by the way, also tag in the campaign dollars for votes. They want to they want to create a permanent controlling class in our political system that Democrats solely own. The claim deal also expands the migration incentive for lower-wage Indian graduates to take Fortune 500 white-collar jobs from U.S. graduates through the H-1B visa worker program. What's going to be the incentive for American youth to go to college or to go to a community college to get a blue-collar education to work and doing blue-collar jobs? Where's the incentive? The extra incentive, they tell us, is the award of work permits to their adult children, these illegals. So allowing the adult child to stay in the U.S. where they can compete for jobs and housing that would otherwise go to young American graduates. This population of adult children is huge because roughly four to 500,000 competing Indians have competitively jammed themselves into multi-year waiting lines for these green cards. The Indians, who would have thought this? The Indians are the largest national group in the various visa worker programs, number one by far. The programs allow the Fortune 500, there you go, big corporations and all their subsidiaries to keep a workforce of roughly 2 million foreign contract workers in professional class jobs 
across the nation. Management. Foreign managers, think about this. Foreign managers in the imported workforce, they quietly sell jobs to people within their ethnic networks. And you know how they do it? First, they exclude many Americans from a wide variety of professional careers. All right is an Indian who works in a U.S. technology company on a technical development team with all Indians and two white people. Now, here's a thought. 99% of engineering grads in India in today's generation have zero knowledge of the degree they just obtained. They just got a degree handed to them so they can be shipped over here and take an American's job. The non-immigrant workforce also allows C-suite executives to shrivel the workplace status of U.S. professionals, including journalists and their kids, and to corral technology innovation. The leak that came out overnight says the deal will also award an extra 50,000 green cards. What are those for? They'll likely be used to help recruit more foreign graduates for the Fortune 500's workforce. The extra green cards would be a really valuable recruiting tool for these Fortune 500 managers. Why? They could be converted into the huge government-granted workplace bonus of, drumroll, citizenship. Advocates for the bill say it'll help the federal government stop surges at the border. But this guy, Chmielinski, scoffed at the draft's expedited removal clause, saying this. That's ridiculous. you got to have seven consecutive days of more than 5,000 migrant encounters for the curbs to even begin. The cartels can have 10,000 on day one, 10,000 on day two, 10,000 on day three, 10,000 on day four, 10,000 on day five, 10,000 on day six, and then 4,999 on day seven. And then the clock resets. That's in this so-called deal they're considering. You saw what happened when House Speaker Johnson went with his caravan of Republicans down at the border last week. The cartels just stopped sending people into Eagle Pass for that one day. So there wasn't total mass chaos along the border for the day the Republicans were there and the television cameras were there. That's kind of like what Joe Biden does the one time he went to the southern border. They cleaned up El Paso, took all of the people sleeping in the streets, took them and put them somewhere while Joe was in town. Supporters of this bill may try to repeat the Senate strategy that was used to pass Back in 2013, remember the Gang of Eight Amnesty and Cheap Labor Bill? The bill was rushed through the Senate after a very surprising unvetted border security amendment was announced at the last moment to bulldoze growing criticism of the bill's amnesty and economic impact. And the bill died in the House when the GOP's leadership realized It was intensely unpopular with the party's voters. In the subsequent 2014 election, the GOP won five extra seats in the Senate and the largest GOP majority in Congress since 1929. 
But listen to this. This is my prediction. If the Republicans endorse this 2024 migration giveaway, it also gives away the migration issue in the 2024 election. Biden's getting pounded on. Democrats are getting pounded on. They're mishandling of the border. But here, Republicans are basically giving them a permanent hall pass. And this is all going to happen before the election. What do you think the Democrats will do to their slim majority in the Senate and the Republicans' two-vote majority in the House? Our government, Congress, will be one 100% Democrat with a big margin in both houses. For some reason, my phone's not ringing. I would be speaking about my friend, Congressman Mike Johnson. I can't get him on the phone. I want to find out if this is true. If this is true, First of all, he'll be toast. They'll recall him quickly, but it'll be too late. Too late for the Americans. Oh, my gosh. I told you, that song by Ambrosia, biggest part of me, was the only calm thing you're going to hear on this show today. We are just living in an environment now where facts don't matter. Even these people, not everyone, I I don't ever want any of you to think or anybody to hear some of the things I say here and say, Dan's over the hill. He can't stand the Republicans. He can't say, don't, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we've got to deal with what's on the table right now and handle it right now. Mike Johnson if anybody in your office is listening to me now, yeah, I don't I don't think it's too late to write this ship, but you need to begin to be clear. Clear when something is being considered. And I know it's got a ton of moving parts and it would take a long time to make every Republican understand everything that's in it, but you know what? That's what you're supposed to do. You're the representatives of the American people. For Mike 4th Congressional District, Northwest Louisiana, and parishes down the whole left side of Louisiana, almost down to Lake Charles. You don't represent the big agriculture companies out in California and Arizona. You represent us. I know it's a collective. You have to represent and think about every American, but representation... There are 435 fellow congressmen and women in the House of Representatives. And they're each supposed to represent one of those 435 districts just like you are. There are such a massive number of things that are going on right now in our government that if we don't get even a few of them right, we are toast 
as a nation. And I am not, folks, I am not overreacting. I'm telling you factually, we're on the edge right now. And it could go one way or the other way in a matter of seconds at some point. I'm talking about everything from our agriculture, our criminality across the nation. We got a notice overnight that there is a possible Hezbollah terrorist attack planned for the United States in our country. Intelligence groups have leaked that out there. What does that mean? We don't know. We don't know how many Hezbollah terrorists Joe Biden and his minions have allowed to come across the border and just get set for whatever they want to do. And it's not just Hezbollah, China. China has sent us several hundred Chinese people that Joe has led into this country. Who are they? Why are they coming to the United States? We know why they're coming. I mean, nobody's in front of a microphone when asked. They've said, here's why I'm coming. But why else would they come here in mass all at one time? They're sent here. And it's not to be able to uh, have nice picnics or go see the thoroughbred horse racing. They're here for a purpose, and it doesn't have anything to do with becoming good, patriotic, law-abiding citizens or wannabe citizens of the United States. We better wake up, folks, because if we don't wake up voluntarily, we're going to be awakened, and it's not going to be fun. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a bud. You've earned it. This bud's for Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Great shadow legends. I mean, <laughs> You pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like... Uh, wet otters but the bad guys they're lovecraftian they're spooky they're um um big and then you go to battle and it's like then finally your foe is vanquished and that satisfaction such a primal feeling Ooh! download raid shadow legends play for free welcome to mcdonald's may i take your order hi can i get a Can I get a... Uh, okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, can uh, I get a... Uh, 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 go, Bubba, go! Uh, 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 pick me! No, pick me! Uh, 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 hey, can I get a... Uh, Ten-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... 
Kind of makes a Friday feel a little better, especially with all of this negativity we're talking about so far this morning. We normally don't do that. We give you the highlights. And when something's really, really bad, we make sure you understand it. And we give you both sides of every part of that conversation. I'm not saying we're doomed or anything like that. I'm just saying we're getting a checkup right now. We need to pay attention and get our minds around all of the facts so that we can get in touch with the people that are making the decisions that we're talking about today. And just think about this. Probably the stuff that we already know is only a part of what is waiting for us on the other side of whatever this is going to look like. Our institutions, think about it, our military, our healthcare institutions across the spectrum of American healthcare, education, we're struggling to have qualified, real people that want to work in these parts that are so critical to us. And it's because of all of the stuff that's been sown from the top down in this administration. Who would have thought when Joe Biden was inaugurated back in 2021 that he could turn this nation upside down in less than three years, which he's done? Our military. Let me give you some numbers that will blow your mind. A precipitous drop in the number of white recruits into the U.S. Army over the past five years. That sheds some new light on the service's ongoing recruiting crisis. The Army missed its 2023 recruiting target, listen to this, by 10,000 soldiers. So what was the number they were looking for? 65,000. And they lost 10,000. And that was after hitting only three-quarters of its 2023 goal as the Pentagon doubled down on prioritizing, here we go, racial and ethnic diversity in the ranks. So a big chunk of that decline is attributed to a dramatic decline in the total number of white recruits as the Army brought in roughly 20,000 fewer white soldiers in 2023 compared to 2018. What we're seeing is a reflection of society. What we know less of is what is driving all of these things. That's an army official. There's no widely accepted cause. Well, it's because there's a stack of causes. I mean, just look at our government. Look at our woke government, DEI, transphobia, transgenderism that causes transphobia. It's being shoved down the throats of ordinary people, many of who they spent their entire young lives lives dreaming about and planning for going into the military. And then when all this stuff happens, you you double down with the, the uh, you got to get vaccinated to be in our military thing. And if you're not, we, we'll get, you'll get kicked out, which that's what happened. You know, our military kicked out all those people that refused to get vaccinated. And then our Secretary of Defense, he said, we're going to fix this. We're going to fix it. You know how he fixed it? He said, if you were kicked out of the Army and you want to come back in, you can come reapply now. 
They didn't reach out to those that they illegally kicked out. They didn't say, we're sorry we did that. We'd love to have you come back. Will you come back? We'll put you right where you were in your status before you left. Don't you think that would be the right thing to do? Nope. They will not reach out to people, and they tell them, oh, well, if they want to come reapply, they can come reapply now. Other demographic groups have fluctuated over the last five years, but none consistently tumbled over time like the white demo has. The largest drop happened between 2022 and 2023, with the service breaking in 6% fewer white recruits than the year prior. In 2018, 44,000 new recruits. That was 56% of the total were white. That number collapsed to a low of 25,000 in 2023. Over the same time period, black recruits increased from 20 to 24% of the total, Hispanics from 17 to 24%, Although the real number of recruits from each demographic group was largely unchanged as the total number of new personnel in the Army in each year continues to get lower and lower. Data that appeared to show an even more cataclysmic decline in white recruits, it's popped up, but Army public affairs officials said the data were incorrect because of a system coding error and they provided the updated data included in the report. Army officials attribute the decline to a number of factors. Here you go. Drug use. Drug use. Obesity. A drop in white male representation in the labor market. And partisan attacks, officials said, characterized the military as woke and could drive away potential white recruits. Here we go. We start with the three-letter numbers, the DEI portion, diversity, diversity, that's D, I is inclusion, what is E? That portion of the Army's personnel strategy, it calls for adapting what they say. This is a quote, accession, recruiting, and retention programs to address the Census Bureau's demographic shift projections, and the global trends, all to ensure the Army remains representative of the American population. However, the change in white recruits far exceeds any demo shifts currently taking place. Military.com was not able to get recruiting data broken by region, which could shed further light on areas where it's struggling the most. Overall, the data shows the percentage of male and female recruits remains unchanged on the whole, but did not show a breakdown of gender and race or ethnicity at the same time. I guarantee you that was purposeful. Conservative lawmakers, media, highlighting the Army's preoccupation with DEI could contribute to the problem. Some Army officials have said this, no, the young applicants don't care about this stuff. There's a level of prestige in parts of conservative America with service that has degraded. And several media outlets, they tried to get some one-on-ones with people, the uh, 
media representatives in the Army to get some pushback and answers on this. They won't even respond to phone calls. You know who, besides you and me and a bunch of other Americans, are hearing about this and digesting this? You know who else is out there at the same time doing that? China, Russia, our friends in South America, Kim Jong-un, and uh, the old ISIS, the bit of them that are still there, Hezbollah, Iran, could I go on and on and on? And those hardcore weaponization people that hate us, they're licking their chops and they're wanting to let go and go finish the United States of America. It's very obvious. We're at our weakest point in my lifetime, and I'm 70. And people on the left, they just clap their hands and they love everything that's happening. While these other nations, like Iran, like North Korea, probably like Xi Jinping and China, they're looking for a time when it would be the right time to go tackle the big guy, the big bully, the one that has the most power on the planet because he no longer has that power. And don't think those conversations are not happening. This morning, I decided, I'm, I'm sick and tired of all this call of, about Donald Trump wants to destroy democracy. He wants to be a dictator, he even admitted it. Remember? Remember when he said it in just a town hall thing? He was asked about that. He was being he was being talked about as wanting to be a dictator. And he actually, with everybody laughing, he said, Oh, I, I want to be a dictator for one day. But all the media reports, they cut it right there. Oh, he said, you heard him say it. I want to be a dictator, and they cut it right there. What he said was, I want to be a dictator for one day. The first day, I'm president. Well, what do you mean, Mr. President? What I mean is, I want to restart our drilling. I want to get our energy back up and going on day number one. And then, just go back to normal. They don't have that out there. That doesn't fit their narrative. So they basically lie just because they're not giving us the truth. Democracy is a big thing. It always has been in world history. And that's kind of been a panacea that a lot of people, a lot of real conservative people think we should fight for, continually fight for. But you know what everybody's missing? This nation was not founded as a democracy. And there's only one reason why it wasn't. In a pure democracy, in any association, country, group of countries, if there is a pure democracy in it, it means for every issue that comes up, no matter what part of that group or that country it pertains to, every single person is required to give a determination of what they think. It's one person, one vote for everything. 
Now, can you imagine the chaos that would ensue if the United States was a democracy? Well, we are a democratic country, aren't we? Well, no, <laughs> we're not. So this morning I did some research digging around and I found a video slash audio explanation of the difference between a democracy that everybody keeps saying, Trump wants to destroy our democracy. And a country boy, a country boy named Buddy Brown, one of my people, he's wearing camo, he's got a country slur, but he explained the simplest explanation I've ever heard. And you'll understand by listening to Buddy Brown why our forefathers made it very clear we are not a democracy. We established this country as a republic. Well, what's the difference between a republic and a democracy? Well, listen up. Here's Buddy Brown. Y'all have heard liberals over and over again in this election cycle going into epileptic seizures, screaming, in 2024, we need to save democracy, save democracy. But we should actually burn down democracy and piss on the ashes. Let your hound dog just pee on it, okay? Because this video right here should be played to high schoolers all across the nation. It's scary how many actual teenagers and even adults are walking around thinking democracy is a good thing. So it all starts like this, y'all. When the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia ended in 1787, there was a woman that walked up to Ben Franklin and she said, sir, what kind of government did we just create? A democracy or a republic? To which Ben Franklin famously replied, madam, we have a republic, if you can keep it. Now I like to think he had a pinch of wintergreen skull on his left cheek and spit it and kind of walked off like this. <laughs> but that actually wasn't documented historically. But we were actually supposed to have a republic. Think about when we pledge allegiance to the flag. We don't say, and to the democracy for which it stands. We say, and to the republic for which it stands. Let that sink in. So let me simplify this for all you good old boys just sitting in your truck because you want to avoid your coworker for the next 30 minutes, okay? And I understand. You're going to get a little education that was a lot better than what you had in high school. In a pure democracy, everybody participates in every single decision. In a republic, we have representatives. So you can already see how it was set up to, you know, be a republic. In a democracy, majority rule always rules. In a republic, it's the same thing. However, it has to be guided by a set of principles and laws. Now, you come through my gate up at the road, there's going to be a problem. And I would never even let that happen. And everybody has common sense on that. However, my road is about a 10-mile stretch, and there's only about 18 residences on that road. If all 18 decide they're going to take over my property and come through my gate, then that's just fine according to democracy because majority rules. Do y'all see how fast this could go south if majority always rules? Look, my pastor was talking to my wife and I in premarital counseling back in 2006. He says, I tell people all the time, just because a husband and a wife agree on something doesn't make it the right choice. I always remember that. He said, I've seen a husband and a wife go out and buy a brand new car when they don't have a pot to piss in. Does that sound like a good idea when you're broke? So what it means is you should be safeguarded by some good laws and good principles. And that's what a republic is supposed to do. Now, this next one is huge for me, y'all. It's absolutely huge because in a democracy, there's no protection for individual rights. In a republic, there is individual right protection. Oh, it gets way worse, y'all. In a democracy, there's no protection for property rights. In a republic, there is protection for property rights. Are y'all starting to see 
what they're doing when Democrats and the rhinos scream that we got to save democracy? Are y'all starting to see how disgusting this is? A republic also tries to avoid extremes like mob rule and tyranny and all that kind of stuff. A democracy always ends up in turbulence and violence. It always does. St. Louis, Chicago got torn up and shot up the last few years and ain't nobody doing anything about it. Bottom line is, a republic is a way of diffusing power. And it's genius. Look at California, New York, Illinois, uh, New Jersey. We would never, ever want one state or just a few states to dominate our government. And the Electoral College was set up so that the whole country makes decisions together, not just small pockets with tons and tons of people. If we didn't have an Electoral College, y'all, we would have presidential candidates who went to like eight places in the United States of America, and that's it. Just ignore the existence of the entire rest of the country, and our founding fathers never wanted that. I really wish so bad that, uh, you know, more people understood the beauty of a constitutional republic, what it's supposed to look like and what it's supposed to be. I also hope that this video gives your liberal government teacher nightmares and hemorrhoids for the next two weeks <laughs> after seeing this video. God bless y'all. Be sure to share this and educate yourself. We do not want a democracy whatsoever. We want a functioning republic that is beautiful and operates the way a republic is supposed to. God bless y'all. Okay. You got that, didn't you? It's pretty simple, actually. Now you can understand why Hillary Clinton was screeching and screaming after the 2016 election. Uh, uh, 2016. Um, yeah, it was the 2016 election. She lost to Donald Trump. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Why she was screaming, we've got to get rid of the Electoral College. That doesn't represent the majority of Americans. Okay, using that logic... We do away with our republic. We do away with the Electoral College. You know how many states it would take to win every issue? Ten states. Which ones? Listen to this. California, Texas, Florida, New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Ohio, Georgia, North Carolina, and Michigan. Every election we had, every election we had, states like even New Jersey, <laughs> New Jersey, and I'll, I'll just keep going. I'll give you a few more. New Jersey, Virginia, Washington, Arizona, Tennessee, Massachusetts, Indiana, Missouri, and it keeps going and going and going. Maryland, Wisconsin, Colorado, Minnesota, South Carolina, Alabama, Kentucky, Louisiana, Oregon, Oklahoma, Connecticut, Utah, Nevada, Iowa, Arkansas, Kansas, Mississippi, New Mexico, Idaho, Nebraska, West Virginia, Hawaii, New Hampshire, Maine, Montana, Rhode Island, Delaware, South and North Dakota, Alaska, Vermont, and Wyoming would not have a say-so in any election. I think our forefathers were pretty savvy. And you know how they were? They had just come from for generations of their families living in an environment where that many people never had a voice in anything regarding government wherever they lived. We're talking about facts. We're talking about reality here. 
This is not pontification. And now, you no longer have to wonder why all of those on the left, the big staters, oh, we we, we just got to go after this democracy, democracy. We got to, that's just telling people that what we have, they don't like. And why don't they like it? Have you heard any of them ever explain to you what the difference between a, demo, a democracy and a republic are? They don't even want to talk about it. They make it sound like it's horrible. Look, this governor, or not governor, this president, he didn't win with the majority of the people. And it's because of that electoral college. That vote doesn't represent the majority of Americans. It's called mob rule. That's what they want. I mean, it's it's as simple as that. But we have to know what our government is doing and how it's structured to call these people out and explain to other Americans that will never represent the American people. If you live next to water on both sides and Illinois in the middle, you're probably going to be part of what they want to say is democracy. But it's not. And this nation will never be what it ever has been since it was founded. Never. Talking with you, not at you. Intelligent Conversation. TNN. The Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. I lost you. Where'd you go? I'm sorry about that. If you could see our studio and see what has to be done to put all these things together at one time, you'd understand every once in a while I'll go, oops, 
because there's nobody in the studio with me almost all the time. All that being said, you got a little breath of air without me screaming at you today. What's happening over in the Middle East? What's going on over there? We need to stay on top of it because it's heating up. And uh, when I say over there, I'm not just talking about the Israeli-Hamas war that's going on. I'm talking about everything in that part of the world. Ukraine, Russia, Kim Jong-un is sitting over there in North Korea. He's watching everything and he's foaming at the mouth wanting to get a piece of us. We just don't know what's going on. But when we're not all together in different parts of our nation, the bullies want to look in and see if we're weak so they can come after us. But anyway, finally, our government has decided to reach out against those that have been attacking us and our military installations in different parts of the Middle East. And so, in conjunction with the United K, UK, the United States went back and went after those Houthi rebels that have been attacking us. Bye for me. Uh, we're just getting in some breaking news right now, uh, and I want to head right to the Pentagon. Rich Edson is standing by. Uh, it seems that in a strike that had been talked about uh, may be materializing now in the Middle East to go back at the Houthi rebels for some of those attacks. Is that right, Rich? No, that's right, Brett. We're just getting early details of this right now. According to two U.S. officials, uh, they're saying that there have been joint U.S.-U.K. air strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen. Remember, we talked about this just about 50 minutes ago on the show. There have been multiple attacks, 28-some attacks on shipping lanes from Houthi rebels, a massive attack on Tuesday that the U.S. and U.K. had to repel. Uh, the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of, Spe- of, of Staff talked to his British counterpart yesterday, uh, and now some 24 hours later, we've got news of these attacks. We're still trying to figure out how many targets, what kind of targets, but we do know joint U.S.-U.K. attacks on Houthi targets in Yemen, uh, either ongoing right now or just finishing up. Brett? Yeah, both U.S. military uh, and British military beginning these bombing sites uh, inside Yemen. Massive retaliatory strikes is how it's being described uh, by both nations. Uh, Now, this is after these Red Sea strikes, as also uh, more than 130 strikes on U.S. troops throughout the region, not only from the Houthis, but other Iranian-backed proxies. That's right, Brett. This is all Iran behind things here. You've got the Iranians backing the Houthis. You've got the Iranians backing proxy groups uh, in Iraq and Syria. Some 130 strikes against U.S. positions in those countries just since the middle of October. And then on top of all that, earlier today, you had Iran seizing, Iran directly, the Iranian Navy directly seizing an oil tanker uh, in the Middle East. So Iran behind all of these different groups here, and now the U.S. retaliating specifically this evening against the Houthis in Yemen. This was yesterday evening when this happened, and subsequently there's much more going on. At least four oil tankers have reportedly turned around mid-voyage to avoid entering the Red Sea after we joined forces with Britain and launched joint airstrikes against the Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen. These strikes come after weeks of aggression from Houthi rebels in the region who have targeted a bunch of commercial vehicles, vessels, in a series of incidents that have raised international security concerns and disrupted maritime traffic. Four ships 
this morning, Middle Eastern time, identified as the Toyo, the Denya, the Stolt Zulu, and Navig 8 Pride diverted course over four and a half hours to avoid the Red Sea, citing tracking data from the London Stock Exchange Group. Danish oil tanker group Torm also announced Friday it has temporarily stopped allowing its vessels to travel through the southern Red Sea. Everybody's scared to death as they should be. So Biden said he had authorized those strikes in direct response to unprecedented Houthi attacks against international maritime vessels in the Red Sea, including the use of anti-ship ballistic missiles for the first time in history. Lieutenant General Alex Greenwich, the head of U.S. Air Force Central Command, he said there were deliberate strikes on over 60 targets at 16 Iranian-backed Houthi militant group uh, locations, including command and control nodes, munitions, depots, launching systems, production facilities, and air defense radar systems. These strikes were comprised of coalition air and maritime strike and support assets from across the region. That included U.S. Naval Forces Central Command aircraft and Tomahawk land attack missiles launched from surface and subsurface platforms, he also said. Submarines, obviously. When asked about the security situation in the Red Sea at the White House press briefing, National Economic Advisor Lael Branard said, we're very focused on the economic side on monitoring potential effects on the U.S. economy. So far, we really have seen very little effect on the U.S. economy. Some shippers are taking alternate routes that is leading to longer shipping times. But so far, that really hasn't had an impact on the U.S. economy. Well, you know, every once in a while, it's good to drop a little nugget of information in there. We, of course, we follow all of this live pretty much all through the day, even during our show. And there's about a seven-hour, eight-hour difference between here and the Middle East. So typically by the time we get it, whatever was going to happen as a result of these attacks that have been perpetrated across the area by Hezbollah, Hamas, and uh, now the Houthi rebels, most of those have already happened and retaliatory actions have taken place too. But we're watching through the weekend. If you'll check truthnewsnet.org, we'll have several stories up that include some of the latest updates on all of this and other important events. Plus, don't forget every Saturday, we pick that week, usually 10 to 12 of the biggest stories, and we detail it in our Saturday bullet point offering. And how that structures, you'll get in each bullet point at the beginning of it, kind of an explanation of what a story is about. And then at the end of those few sentences, if you want more details, you can click on a link right there and it'll take you to a full story from different news agencies. It gives you a good way to catch up on what you may have missed and not to have to read through page after page to get the information, at least the important things. We're trying to stay on top of it all, folks. That's what we're here for. So in the middle of this impeachment proceeding that has started against Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary. Listen to this. This one blew my mind. Multiple conservative legal scholars 
or attacking the House Republican Conference's attempt to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And they're calling it unconstitutional. Think about this. Mayorkas has been the target of House Republicans since he assumed office. And it's because of the dramatic increase in the number of illegal immigrants who have come across the border through our southern border with Mexico, and it rose to nearly 2.5 million in fiscal year 2023. That's according to data from U.S. Customs and Border Protection. 2.5 million, we have been told credibly, really is closer to 15 million since Joe's been as president. The frustration with Mayorkas' policies and his previous testimony before Congress has led to this impeachment inquiry against him. Being a bad person is not impeachable, or many cabinets would be largely empty. That, my friends, was from a very respectable constitutional attorney, Jonathan Turley. I was shocked to hear him say that. He said there is no jurisdictional question for Mayorkas, but there is also no current evidence that he is corrupt or committed an impeachable offense. Turley said he can be legitimately accused of effectuating an open border policy, but that is a disagreement on policy that is traced to the president. Okay, now... What does the Constitution say is an impeachable offense? High crimes and or misdemeanors. High crimes. Our forefathers didn't define what they meant when they said high crimes. But Mayorkas is breaking two laws every day, and he's been doing that for millions of times. 8 U.S. Code Part 1325 says this, and I'm talking about criminality, improper time or place, avoidance of examination or inspection, misrepresentation and concealment of facts, That's part A of this code that I gave you. Any alien who enters or attempts to enter the United States at any time or place other than as designated by immigration officers or eludes examination or inspection by immigration officers or attempts to enter or obtains entry to the U.S. by a willfully false or misleading representation or the willful concealment of a material fact shall, for the first commission of any such offense, be fined under Title 18 or imprisoned for six months or both, and for a subsequent commission of any such offense, be fined under Title 18 or imprisoned not more than two years or both. Okay, that's about the illegal alien that is coming across the border. But how could that, how could law implicate somebody like Mayorkas? A federal law, listen now, that makes it a crime for a person to encourage illegal immigration 
does not violate constitutional free speech protections. But that person that encourages and makes it possible for illegals to immigrate to the United States, that person is breaking multiple federal criminal statutes. So the person that's coming over is breaking laws. The person or persons who encourages illegal immigration, they're breaking laws as well. That's not me. That's the U.S. Code that states that. I don't know how Jonathan Turley would come up saying what he said, that Mayorkas is not breaking the tenets of what constitutes an impeachable offense. Now, he pointed to that would mean technically it would point to the president. Well, guess what? It does. But it would also point to the person that acts out and voluntarily creates processes over and over and over again that allows more and more illegals to come across and not be arrested for breaking criminal laws. I, I, I'm shocked at anybody that has a shred of credibility, whatever, that would somehow try to justify the people that are doing these things enticing these people to continue to come over. They're actually, money's flowing in billions of dollars. You do realize that. Estimates for the cartels making every month, I've heard they're as high as $16 billion a month. They're charging these illegals coming across out the wazoo, sometimes as much as $40,000. Now, when you do the multiplication and you come up with the hundreds of thousands that are being trafficked over the border by these cartels, the cartels are making bazillions of dollars. Don't tell me that you don't believe there is some tie, some connection, the money part, with the important people that are in our government, that are supposed to be enforcing all those laws, but all of a sudden decided not to do their jobs anymore? Hey, 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 I will guarantee you. I don't know how many. I don't know for sure if it's even one. But the love of money is the root of all evil, and there's a lot of money that's floating around regarding all things immigration. And people are just willingly breaking the law and they're not being held accountable by those above them. The quacks and waddles, it's usually pretty much always a duck, right? So while we're talking about this thing, Alejandro Mayorkas and his boss, President Joe Biden, um, Eric Swalwell, you know, they're a, they and the House of Representatives have been this week really working hard on this Hunter Biden stuff that went on. I don't know what this kid thinks. I don't know what's going through his head. 
But whoever he's getting, if, if Abby Lowell, his attorney, is doing this, I always thought Abby is one of the best attorneys in the United States, but I don't see a good ending in this thing for Hunter Biden. But that that's another story. Yesterday, very contentious committee hearings in uh, the House of Representatives. Eric Swalwell, he's probably my uh, third most despised member of the House of Representatives. Most uh, despised being Adam Schiff. Second would be, and you'll hear from him in a few minutes, uh, Dan Goodman. Eric Swalwell had to add some of his wisdom to what's been going on in discussions about what Hunter Biden's doing right now. He's getting in trouble, but uh, it's really strange. Jim Jordan was who Eric Swalwell went after. I'm going to end today, because I think we're probably about done, where we started, which is that I and my colleagues pointed out that the chairman is 600-plus days in defiance of a congressional subpoena. My colleague from North Dakota who just spoke said, uh, no one should ever be allowed to set the terms for their own subpoena Compliance, and he's never seen you know somebody you know defy a congressional subpoena like this. Mr. Van Drew from New Jersey has throughout the day said there's rules for thee, but not for me. That's what Hunter Biden is asking. And then the chairman, in a very defensive response to the point we've made about his own subpoena defiance, said, "Well." All I wanted to do was I sent an 11-page letter, and I was willing to testify. I was willing to negotiate. Well, that sounds a hell of a lot like what Hunter Biden is doing when Chairman Comer says, come in publicly or privately. He says, I'll come in publicly. Then you say, well, it has to be privately. And then he comes in willing publicly twice in the last month. So to use Mr. Van Drew, is it rules for thee, but not for me, Mr. Chairman? Gentleman, you? Is it rules for thee and not for me? Because that's what it really feels like is going on here. So, again, to end where we started, it is absurd that this committee, where its own chairman is in defiance of a congressional subpoena, is holding a hearing about somebody else who actually wants to show up and testify publicly for their own congressional subpoena. Gentleman, you? <laughs> no, he won't. No, he won't. Swalwell has about a five-minute, maybe six-minute attention span. That's about it. That's all he could come up with. Instead of dealing about the substance of this Hunter Biden stuff, when you receive a subpoena to appear under any part of U.S. law, You don't have the right to determine the circumstances in which you will abide by the demands in the subpoena. You can't tell them. You can't tell them. I'm not going to come in and do a public one. I'm not going to come in and do a private one. Whatever it is, you're subpoenaed by the government to do and appear and do what's in the subpoena or maybe try to negotiate a different one, but just refuse to do it or walk out. 
this guy, this kid, and he's not a kid. I think he's he's close to 50 years old. Talk about being bulletproof on a, the accountability factor. He doesn't have any accountability. It sounds to me like nobody in his life has ever held him accountable for any of his wrongdoing. And just a little while ago when I was talking about Alejandro Mayorkas' impeachable, uh, impeachment inquiry and the one about Joe Biden that hadn't cranked up yet, but uh, it looks like it is about to. There's an inquiry, but it seems to me it's very close to be turning into an actual impeachment. The Constitution declares, I said, misdemeanors. High crimes and misdemeanor. But I left out one word. I apologize for it. It makes a big difference. Bribery, high crimes, and misdemeanor. Now, how does that change the picture for Joe Biden? The the definition of bribery, and it's in the statute for that, it does not require for any money or anything of value to be changed from one hand to another hand for it to be classified as bribery. Any attempts to coerce somebody to do something or not to do something That is also included in the bribery statute. It makes a big difference. And nobody can credibly say that in the stuff that we have seen, millions of dollars changing hand from big-time organizations and even governments into the hands of multiple different Biden people, That is the epitome of bribery. And of course, in this particular case, who are they trying to bribe? Who's bribing and who are they trying to bribe? I don't think we have the uh, smoking gun yet, but I think if we actually start an impeachment process full-blown against Joe Biden, it's going to mysteriously raise its head and say, oh, here I am. You want you want me? You want to get the facts of what I've done? Here, let me tell you. Let's switch gears and move on. Something else that we're talking about almost every day. We're back to getting together money for Ukraine and for Israel. Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. And members of Congress, especially Republican members of Congress, They've dug in their heels. We're not going to give any more money to Ukraine. We have no idea what they've done with the money that we've already given them. There's no audits trail. And we hear all kinds of people that are saying credible people and some talking about even factual instances of where money that we sent to Ukraine didn't go to Ukraine in some cases. And even some of the money that went to Ukraine was for bribery purposes. Guess what pops out overnight? Top-line U.S. and European government officials have poorly tracked military aid for Ukraine worth more than $1 billion, creating concerns the weapons that we gave to them have been stolen. Now, this is according to a Defense Department report that was released yesterday. 
amid contested efforts by American lawmakers to provide additional funding for Ukraine's war against Russia. Just over $1 billion of the estimated $1.69 billion worth of weapons sent to Ukraine, they're professionally classified as delinquent. And if you ask what that means, it means they've just disappeared. We don't know where they are. It was likely caused by inability to maintain complete accountability of the inventory in government databases. And that's coming from a redacted report by the Defense Department's Inspector General yesterday. Failure to track the weapons may increase the risk of theft or diversion. (laughs) You think? And that's not just a little bit of it, folks. Just over $1 billion of the estimated $1.69 billion, eh, nowhere. The report noted future efforts to track shipments to Ukraine will be difficult as the inventory continues to change, while accuracy and completeness will likely only become more difficult over time. Sasha Baker happens to be the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, argued in a response to a draft of that report that required accounting procedures, Sasha Baker said, are not practical in a dynamic and hostile wartime environment. You really think we should accept that? That requiring procedures to track what you've done that have been given you to do specific things and you don't know where it is, the stuff that you were given, how much of it was actually used and how much is unused and where the unused part is and where the part that was used was actually used. That's wrong. In what world do you live in which you think that happens and it's okay? Wouldn't be in the military normally. 39,139. That's a pretty big number. 39,139. That's how many weapons we've sent to Ukraine. 39,139. The U.S. has sent just over $44.2 billion in cash in military aid to Ukraine since Russia launched its invasion, and that's according to the State Department. Military shipments have included anti-tank missiles, surface-to-air missiles, drones, medium-range missiles, and night vision devices. The Pentagon warned in an October 2022 report that criminals, volunteer fighters, arms traffickers, had stolen weapons provided by us and other Western countries for Ukraine. Our inspector general noted at the time the Defense Department's ability to track our equipment shipments into Ukraine is facing challenges because of a limited American military presence in the country. Now, why would that be? I mean, does this sound like, is this the first time we've ever sent aid to another country, military aid? Heck no. Happens all the time. Are they telling us that they never track it? They just give it to people, make them raise their right hand. Do you promise to use this the right way? And then that's the end of it? Maybe it is. I'm just saying. I don't think it's supposed to. Some U.S. officials have suggested the Biden administration 
is willing to risk losing track of weapon shipments to Ukraine as long as some shipments made it into the right hands. Now, right now, Republicans, one of the things they've been fighting about money-wise on our budget, they have stalled efforts because of the Ukraine and Israel amid the threats of a government shutdown. President Biden proposed additional funding for border security as part of a $106 billion aid request for those two countries. As lawmakers demand a return to several Trump-era immigration policies, lawmakers announced earlier this week an agreement was reached on a fiscal year 2024 budget. And though negotiations are ongoing and it looks like we'll probably hit a stalemate regarding the details of that deal that you and I discussed, and if you missed that early in the show, make sure you go get it. Get it from the podcast that will go live on the various podcast sites about 15 minutes after the show concludes at 11 a.m. Central because that's a very important segment to hear about. It really is. We've been falsely told and expected to believe that the deal, the so-called deal that was put together, it's a great deal and it takes care of the concerns of the conservatives across America. At the same time, Schumer's saying it's good for the other side. How could that possibly be? Well, in the story today, you'll find out that ain't the truth. There's more to it. You know, for two weeks, we ad nauseum every day. We we got indoctrinated on the, uh, the status, the details of... Um, the problem on our major university campuses, campuses like University of Penn, Harvard, Yale, others around the nation, where all of the protests that were happening happening on campuses, it was mostly anti-Israeli, anti-Jewish, anti-Semitism. People were in the bullseye of these protesters. And every one of these protesters in all these demonstrations, not just in the U.S., not just on college campuses, but across the world, most of them are saying, basically, it's okay. We believe in genocide. Genocide. Killing every Jew on the planet. Just like back in World War II, Adolf Hitler was committed to do, and he did kill six million Jews. So with that going out there, I thought it was kind of unique. We saw and heard that committee hearing where the presidents of those three universities came in and they were asked specifically what on their university campuses is the stand of the universities regarding endorsing or even calling for the killing of every Jew. And none of those three university presidents would admit or even allow or stop people from doing and saying those things, the anti-Semitic things that we hear and have heard from the very beginning. 
All three of those are in trouble. In fact, one of them was fired. In the middle of all of this, I wondered, what are the Israeli people? What are, what are the people in these universities? What do Israeli young people around the globe, what do they think about this? And I finally found one that very briefly expressed and said what she and a bunch of other Israeli students and other places around the world, what they think about these institutions, these three presidents of these universities for not demeaning anti-Semitism. This is the message for the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and Penn universities. I was simply appalled to hear your despicable testimony a few days ago. I used to be in awe reading and hearing about your prestigious universities, and now I've lost all my respect for you. For smart women like you, I didn't expect such ignorance. And let's face it, you couldn't answer the simplest question. Do you truly believe that calling for the genocide of Jews is only harassment when it's context-related? What's the context when the genocide actually happens? I cannot even imagine how the Jewish students at your universities must feel. There are thousands of them at your campuses, while you, indirectly perhaps, but you did, promote the genocide of Jews. I hope that the ones who cannot control the anti-Semitic propaganda at their universities will resign from the role as presidents. That's pretty strong. And uh, I think there are a lot of people around the globe that agree with that. Sadly, it just seems to me, in the aftermath of all of this, looking around the globe, I'm seeing more people agree for genocide of Israelis demonstrating than I see the opposite. That's a chilling thing for me. Not because it's Jews. That's especially close to my heart because Jesus was a Jew. Imagine if he was still alive, what that would mean, what we see happening, the call, the incessant call for the extermination of the Jewish people. In fact, they want to wipe Judaism off the globe. But it's shocking to me these three university presidents would not damn anti-Semitism on their campus. And when I say anti-Semitism, it, I'm talking going all the way to genocide. That is okay at any place? Any place in the United States of America? That's accepted? What are we becoming as a nation? Where are we headed as a nation? What do people in government really, really think? Do you realize those three universities, MIT, UPenn, and Harvard, just those three, those prestigious private universities, even though they're private, do you know that U.S. taxpayers through the years have given them tens of billions of of taxpayer dollars. Our money. And that we actually had presidents of these three universities that obviously, very obviously, at least they would not deny it in that hearing, they support 
the genocide of anybody in the United States of America. What is this world coming to? What are we becoming? And what does it look like if we look down the road to see what's next in this regard? More in just a minute. Mr. Rippermorph? Yes, Dorothy? A reporter and crew from New Center 7 Wastebusters are here to see you, sir. New Center 7? Wastebusters. They expose mind-boggling waste of taxpayers' money right here in the Miami Valley. What do they want with me? They said you sold the government a ballpoint pen, sir. So? For $1,000. Well, it came with refills. And a jar of paper clips for $2,000. They were multicolored paper clips. Uh-huh. Red ones, blue ones. What should I tell the Wastebusters, sir? Do they have lights and cameras? And the ballpoint pen, sir. Tell them I went out my window, down the fire escape, and then booked down the street screaming like a madman. I don't think they'll believe that, sir. Mr. Rippemoth? Watch News Center 7 expose government waste right here in the Miami Valley and see the Wastebusters in action. You can't escape them, sir. They're the Wastebusters. News Center 7 Wastebusters. Weeknights at 6. Coverage you can count on. They'll find him. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Oh, sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. So... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. For over 75... <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. It's always been accepted when you talk about universities, colleges, and the teaching that students get there. It's the next level stuff. You know, after high school, the United States, we have uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, university after that. It's always been accepted that uh, when you get to that point, people really are smart, which means they have the ability and the understanding, especially if they go into leadership of some kind, corporate level, private level, government level, they know and understand how to make things, make choices, and always, or at least most of the time, get them right. Well, listen to this story and tell me if uh, that falls into that category. Governor Gavin Newsom in California, he has decided he wants to raid California's rainy day fund. You know, that's money that they set aside. You know what a rainy day fund is. You put a a little bit of money to the side in case you come up with an unexpected expense. Well, Gavin wants to uh, go to the piggy bank, and he wants to take about $38 billion out of the piggy bank. Why? (laughs) 
Well, he wants to help fill the hole that is the state's $38 billion deficit. And $38 billion is a lot of money, but listen to why. It's very shocking that it, there is a deficit in their spending because they had a surplus of nearly $100 billion that the Golden State had, had enjoyed just a year ago. They had a $100 billion surplus, and now they have a $38 billion deficit. Wednesday this week, Governor Newsom presented a budget that estimates a $38 billion deficit, which we're told now may only be half of what the real number is. CalMatters.org. They noted that Newsom proposed spending cuts to some programs, such as state initiatives on climate change, extra funds to help settle migrants that have arrived in California after coming over the porous southern U.S. border. But Newsom is also dipping into the state savings to prevent budget cuts in areas like education. He says he wants to protect schools and community colleges from the brunt of an $11.3 billion protected drop in state revenue for education under a proposed 2024 state budget that he released Wednesday. The budget calls for covering all current levels of funding and existing commitments for new and expanded programs, plus at less than 1% cost of living increase for next year. The three-year decline in revenue for California, both for schools and the overall $38.7 billion in the state general fund, it's $30 billion less than the legislative analyst office had projected just a month ago, easing the burden of balancing the budget and avoiding the possibility of drastic cuts or late payments for the bills. Newsom would protect schools, he says, and community colleges by withdrawing about $7 billion from the $10.8 billion TK-14 rainy day fund to cover the current year's shortfall and meet the minimum obligation in 2024-2025. The state would not seek reimbursement for what turned out to be funding above the minimum Proposition 98 statutory obligation for the prior two years. Now, Newsom's predecessor, Governor Jerry Brown, created this rainy day fund, though it didn't solve California's budget problems. One driver of deficits is the state's seemingly endless enthusiasm for providing health care to everybody, illegal aliens now. As of this year, the state is giving full benefits under Medi-Cal, which is California's Medicaid program, to all residents. Everybody that qualifies for Medicaid now, even these illegal immigrants will be qualified going forward. At the time Obamacare was passed expanding Medicaid, Republican fears that it would benefit illegal aliens. And they just poopod that. Oh, we would never do that. That's exactly what's happening right now in California. And you know what? I know this is supposed to just impact California, but you do understand Medi-Cal, which is Medi- Medicaid, for all states 
the states are on the hook for a chunk of paying for those Medi-Cal slash Medicaid dollars that are spent for poor people's health care. When the states don't have it, guess who gets called on to make up the difference? Well, it's, it doesn't impact any of us personally, right? No. The money comes from U.S. taxpayer dollars. So Gavin, in essence, is giving away some of your money and some of my money if he gets his way on this. Wow. Regarding health care, we're hearing cries again. Big Pharma. Big Pharma has teamed up with leftist politicians to push a scheme that would further put our government into health care, which would be, of course, a win for the socialist left and hand Big Pharma even greater pricing power to set even more of the out-of-control prices in health care and higher profits. They're targeting free market forces pharmacy benefit managers, PBMs, their leverage to deliver savings for American businesses and patients. Here's how it works. Their ploy would bail out Big Pharma at the expense of hardworking taxpayers, patients, and families, and would supercharge the left's drive toward a socialist takeover of health care. Luckily, there are staunch, very, very conservative members in Congress who are willing to stand up against the left scheme to push universal health care and side with taxpayers, businesses, and the American people. Rather than taking Big Pharma's bait like Democrats on this issue, representatives such as Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican from Georgia, have remained steadfast in their position saying, we've paid Big Pharma enough money for COVID vaccines. Republicans should be focused on cutting spending, especially with the DOJ's weaponization against Donald Trump and launching an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden's corruption. We don't have time to push Big Pharma and Dr. Fauci's priorities. So a Washington Post examiner piece the other day exposed how passing measures targeting pharmacy benefit companies could actually hurt Republicans in the 2024 election cycle. Here we go. We're making our big decisions based upon politics. A GOP Senate campaign staffer cautioned, not a single Republican voter is asking the House to pass this PBM bill. This is driven by pharma lobbyists. It's bad politics and it's bad policy and it will hurt us next fall. The proposals in question not only have big political ramifications for conservative policymakers, but they come with a disastrous price tag. One policy aimed at banning market-based incentives for these PBMs in negotiating with drug companies to secure rebates it would increase federal spending in the Medicare Part D program three to ten billion more dollars annually. Similar delinking measures have raised some concerns of the experts. Joe Grogan, former domestic policy advisor under President Trump, slammed delinking policies, 
saying this, unfortunately, congressional eagerness to destroy this contractual arrangement punishes patients and taxpayers far more than it would punish these organizations. In a post-delinking world, the PBM would be paid the same amount for each dispensation of the same type of drug or a single flat fee for all their services, decreasing incentives to negotiate for deep discounts. Worse, employers would have fewer tools to deal with underperforming PBMs without performance-based pricing, their only recourse to switch PBMs with the expiration of a contract. It's not just these policymakers and policy experts that are worried about this. Leaders in our communities, small business owners, are seeing right through the left and big pharma's agenda. If you don't think that big pharma is in the tank and that their being in the tank is directly impacting you, look at your combination of health care benefits in your program. I'm talking about private Government, no, not government, but private or corporate group policies. Look at how much your premiums have gone up and what specifics in the coveraged, the coveraged elements of your health care have either been eliminated or diluted dramatically over the last three or four years. It's massive. It's massive. And it's not going to get any better. And this is not somebody griping about and declaring we need to cut Social Security and Medicare. It's not that at all. It's being fiduciarily responsible and not just automatically falling at the feet of Big Pharma when they come asking for more because we're going to give you more. How often does that happen? Very seldom, if ever. Hey, listen, it's going to be a wrap on the show today. We're going to end a couple of minutes early. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope the weather's good where you are. And even if it's not, make the best of it. Be careful, be cautious, and enjoy yourself and cover all the spots where you could potentially be harmed. And so, Saturday bullet points... They'll be up live on truthnewsnet.org at 1.45 in the morning. Make sure you grab them, maybe not that early. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday morning. And thanks, as always, for being a member of truthnewsnet.org and TNN Live. See you next week. <laughs>